What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere. Visit highland.com. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Eurograps Express. I'm your host, Neil David. And we're back once again to talk about all the exciting things happening in the last two weeks of European wrestling, which, believe it or not, once again is going to heavily feature RevPro to the point where I'm wondering if I'm just a RevPro podcast at this point. Maybe I am, but sod it. There's been a buzz around this week since the Epic Encounters show that I've missed that I've not felt for a long, long time. It's 3am, it's a, it's a rainy night in Salford, I've got my dogs with me, I'm eating cheese and crackers, and I'm almost kind of fatigued from this fortnight, and I, I didn't even go to the show. But the buzz around the show and the excitement around it, with the car changes, with the fact that the, there's just amazing matches on, with the reviews coming out in the Wrestling Observer and the flagship afterwards... It's just been a really great time to be a fan of RevPro. And I know this might sound a little bit soft. It might sound a little bit... I don't know, like I'm getting a bit misty-eyed, but I really love that promotion. I really do. And it, 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 I've talked before about how I feel like I've got a, a connection to them because they were sort of my route into writing and talking about wrestling. And I've always really enjoyed going to the shows. And But it's... A little bit deeper than that, because I feel like they're one of the few promotions in the country. Maybe they're the only promotion in the country that I feel like I trust. I feel like when RevPro put a show on, I feel like Andy Quilden is doing the best show that he can. And does it always hit? 
Well, no, of course it doesn't. And I've been critical of them on the show. I've talked about them, you know, the booking and, and where I feel like it hits and where I feel like it misses. But that's what makes them so interesting and so exciting. There was a match on this show that is getting match of the year buzz. And I can't wait to get home from work to boot that up and decide for myself whether it's a match of the year. They've got wrestlers like Ricky Knight Jr. who they're doing exciting things with, but I don't know if they're doing enough with. And I want to chew on those things. I want to talk about them. I want to do a podcast about them. And I feel like that's something that's often missing from our analysis of promotions, that actually, do we think they're trying to do something for us? Do we think they're trying to serve us as wrestling fans? Are they trying to put over things that advance wrestling, that make that look to what makes wrestling good and try and do something new and advance it and move it forward? Or are they just trying to be silly? Are they just trying to create like a party atmosphere? And believe me, I know I come across as a grump sometimes on this, but I think I've been proven right. I think if you look at this fortnight and you look at what RevPro have achieved, I think I've been proved right that if you take wrestling seriously and you serve wrestling fans, you will do well. They put 1,200 people in York Hall. They did this by starting with the Epic Encounter series over lockdown and having solidly booked wrestling. You look at the shows that they do, and there's what? Six, seven, eight different wrestlers. And every show is just variations of those combinations. It feels like if you look at it on paper, it's moving very, very slowly. But they've got a great core group of wrestlers that are booked really well. And you know on each show, you're going to get a pretty good match. And they're all going to build to these big York Hall shows where you're going to get a great match. And we did get great matches on this show. Spoiler for, for later on. But we did get great matches. I would take this any day over Gene Money silliness, over Cara Noir patheticness. And it seems like the wrestling fans do too, because this show has done brilliantly. Not just in terms of ticket sales, but in terms of buzz, in terms of excitement. And I can't wait to talk about it. I couldn't wait to hit record on this to come and talk about it with you guys. We are going to hit on some other stuff later on. I've got some news and notes from around Europe and I've got some German Wrestling Federation stuff that I want to talk about. But as much as there's this feeling that I should be doing more and I should be talking about RevPro a little bit less, how can I not talk about RevPro? They're the best promotion in Europe. So let's get straight into it then. Let's talk about Epic Epic Encounters 2022. It's amazing now looking back on the show how close this felt to kind of all falling apart when we had the news that Will Ospreay had a kidney infection and couldn't wrestle Suzuki in the main event because let's not be under any illusion. My feelings towards this promotion are going to be very different from a lot of people's and it was going to be that match that was drawing people in. And there was a lot of discussion when the news came out about who should replace Osprey. And I'll be honest with you, Oku didn't even enter my mind. I really, I was pushing for uh, RKJ. I was pushing for Maloney. I thought that had incredible matches. 
But it was during the opening match, the British Cruiserweight title match, Oku against Mills, what Oku was coming out, that I realised that actually it probably should be Oku. Oku has a connection to the Red Pro crowd like not many other people can have because he's advocated for them so much for so long now. You know, when he had that match against Osprey and it got that five-star buzz, he essentially did a media tour where he went around and spoke to everybody. He was on post. He was he was on all sorts of places, Rested Observer, talking about that match and, and, and planting the flag in the ground for Red Pro. And I feel like the modern fan kind of picks up on that. And it's strange because Repro doesn't really have that sense of tribalism and loyalty that a lot of other companies have. But Oku kind of get he's, he's our little bit, of, he's our thing to hold on to. He's the star that people like the WWE will overlook because of pathetic, immature reasons. But we appreciate him and we love him and he, he, I feel like he loves us. And I think that that goes a long way. This match is friend versus friend. Uh, Connor Mills and Michael Oku are tag team partners. And it really made me think about what I want from my wrestling stories. Because there was a really lovely tension to this. This idea that of a tag team fighting isn't anything new. But what they were able to do with this and what made it such a great story is that it was absolutely rooted and planted in reality. This wasn't something ridiculous where, oh, is this tag team going to implode? It was infused with the spirit of competition, but it was hinted that that could always break, and I really liked that dichotomy. That it wasn't this corny, overblown thing. It was Connor Mills genuinely wondering, can I beat Michael Oku? Where's my position in this? And that's incredibly relatable. You know, we're all the second string somewhere in our lives. Nobody's on top of, you know, all the time. And Connor Mills is kind of going through this thing of of, of wondering, can I actually beat Oku? Oku's this, this firebrand star for Red Pro, this bright, shining light that has done so much. And he's been, you know, he says a lot, doesn't it, that... Osprey's not there. Oku's right there behind him for Rev Pro to put in that big spot. And somebody like Mills is going to look at that and think, could that be me? I need to find out. And yeah, that lovely tension I just thought was absolutely fantastic. Mills is a funny one overall as a wrestler. If we start moving away from the story, he is weirdly competent. Now, I know that sounds like a strange thing to say because he's not particularly over. The difference between Oku and Mills when he comes out during the entrance in terms of reaction from the crowd is, is palpable. And it's, perhaps that's a, a little bit unfair because, you know, he's, he's, he's never going to be Michael Oku, is he? But he is a bit of a charisma void. But he's solid. And the way they wrestled this really spoke to that really simple story. There was collar and elbows. There was genuine competition. And I love the fact that we started one of the biggest shows of the year with bridges and blacks, uh, backslides wrestling. You know, we were telling a wrestling story. I've talked before about Alan Moore. And the reason why I think Alan Moore is so revered is because he told stories that could only be told in comic books. And it's the same here. This story could only be told with a wrestling match. It was a wrestling story told with a wrestling match. You know, there were moments with the shenanigans with the test of strength where Oku was was 
taking the mick, you know, where he, he raises his hand for a test of strength, but then changes it. And Mills just didn't have any of it. And I thought that, that was just lovely little moments. You know, there was all sorts of leapfrogs where they made it clear with the way they were telling the story that they know each other, that they train together, that at various points, one was just one step ahead. They could almost predict what was coming because they knew each other so well. I really like Mills actually here. And I, I, I often, I'm indifferent about Mills a lot of the time, but I think he was really good. You know, there was a great mixture of selling and determination from him that worked really, really well. And as much as I can go on about the great near falls, there was a brilliant moment where Mills just dropped Oku on his head, did a 450, and I was convinced it was over. And yes, all that stuff's great, and I'm, I'm not diminishing any of that. What I like the most about this is how they took this really simple story, told it really well, with just so many sprinklings of, of, of genius and originality that, that really spoke to wrestling stories. It would have been so easy in a match like this to descend into this sort of the tag team cliches that, that you know, to speak back to matches that we've seen a million times before, but they didn't here. There was a little moment when, you know, with that 450, that Mills thought he'd won. And he jumped up and he was cheering and he got the belt and he's thinking, yeah, I've won this. And he, he didn't look back at his tag team partner. It was almost like in his head for that moment, he'd left this man behind on the floor and he'd, he'd taken that next step. But he hadn't won. Bill uh, uh, Oku had got his foot under the rope. It was, a, it was a two count. So what does Oku do? He goes for the roll up. And there was this awesome moment where they stood up and they looked at each other. And Mills had this look of betrayal and it really spoke to, you know, this is going to sound absolutely insane. But do you know those old Hogan stories where Hogan, Hulk Hogan would be, Hulk Hogan, not the other Hogans in wrestling, Hulk Hogan. Um, and he would be the babyface in these WWF ones, uh, stories. But actually, you kind of act like a heel. Like, do you know, like with Andre the Giant, you sort of, I, I, when you look at him now as an adult, you think, well, yeah, Andre's kind of right. When you look at Royal Rumble 92, he was eliminated fair and square. Yet he comes back and drags someone out. And it kind of felt like that moment, that actually, yeah, I suppose Mills, in a way, is the heel in this match, but only because Oku is such an over babyface, not because he's done anything wrong, and actually not because Oku has done anything right. And that's just such a lovely little moral dilemma. And when they started slapping each other, I was just... This little moment of, of Oku getting the foot under the ropes has caused such moral implications for this story and for this tag team in such a real and grounded way that I thought it was great. In the end, obviously, Oku won and the, the crowd were chanting destination everywhere. It was almost this moment that the crowd wanted them to recognise that, hey, yeah, you're a great tag team, but let's go back to the status quo now. You know, you had a great match. It was interesting. We got it out of the way. Oku's going to fly off and Mills, you can carry on being his partner. And I like the fact that Mills didn't shake Oku's hand. The, by chanting the tag team's name, the crowd were almost setting up this social contract that Mills was just supposed to accept. And Mills was just supposed to say, yeah, I tried my best, I'm going to move on. Shake your hand, pat you on the back. I'm really happy for you, Michael. But that's not how real life works. And Mills got booed, and I didn't really know why. And 
But at the same time, I, I do think, but there's a reality to that, isn't it? That sometimes you do just have to accept that you're not as good as somebody else. If I started a Patreon tomorrow, how many subscribers would I get? Zero. Imagine that kept me up at night. Imagine that bothered me. You just have to accept your place. You have to accept sometimes that you th- that you are where you are. But I can completely understand why Mills doesn't want to accept that. I can completely understand why someone who is invested in this competition would want to fight and get better and better and better. And I thought that was such a great story. Such a great story. I love stories, and not just wrestling stories, but in stories in general, where probably there's an argument to be made that both people are right. Because actually, Mills, I completely understand that he was right to walk away from that handshake. At the same time, Oku was completely right to offer that hand. There's a there's a, a, a belt at stake here. He's not going to be able to avoid moments like going for that roll-up. He was right to do that. But it was it wrong to do that to his tag team partner? And I'm, these are these are Socratic questions. These aren't questions that I have answers to, but they're questions that they made me think about. And I think that this is such an underrated match for, from this point of view. If you're just looking at it from a work rate, star rating point of view, yeah, you're probably not going to rate it as highly as me. And I, maybe I'm scratching and clawing for things that, that, that maybe weren't there, but I genuinely believe that they were, to be honest with you. And I, I think from a story point of view, this was a great, great match. Oku did a promo uh, promo at the end, and I I really liked his character, and I I think he gets the little things. He's as I've said before, Oku's older than you think, he's more experienced than you think, and he he can deliver a promo really really well. He's talking about the fact that he's done double duty five times for RevPro, twice at York Hall. That's character. Character isn't wrestlers coming out and doing a well rehearsed routine. That's not what character is. This is character. And actually, a really underrated part of this is the fact that Oku's always around. He's always there. to. You could have this match on every show, and yeah, he's ended up being elevated into the main event as well. But you've got this constant, this, this fantastic constant through every show. And that's what I love about Michael Oku. I, I think he's absolutely brilliant. Our next match was an eight-man tag team match, and, and this was really a preview for the upcoming British Tag League, which I think is is, is going to be excellent. You know, you've just got a, an amazing bunch of teams. You know, in this one alone, we've got Sunshine Machine, Amino and Suji uh, against Lycos Jim and Smoking Aces. And okay, Lycos Jim are in there, but I think the fact Smoking Aces is in there more than cancels that out. They're a team that primarily have been working in progress for a while. Um, but they're absolutely fantastic. And the Smoking Aces were presented absolutely fantastically here. When they came out, they talked about the fact that Charlie Sterling has worked a lot for RevPro before, uh, and they've been working elsewhere. They've been practicing their craft uh, with a new tag team partner, and he's ready to come back and have a real good go. And I like that presentation. I think it would have been easy to slip into making digs, which, believe me, I am absolutely fine with people making digs at, at Progress. Um, I make a few myself. But I, 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 I like the way it kind of... It, it, it reset them almost, and it, it, it made them seem a lot more exciting. They were a little bit too choreographed in the way they came out. You know, they were doing kind of the poses between the ropes. And in a promotion like Red Pro, it didn't really work because I don't think wrestlers get much in 
the way of direction in that sense. I think you can just be yourself. And I think there's going to be a little bit of time for uh, smoking aces to deprogress themselves somewhat. And I think it's important that they do. And I've been saying um, for weeks that I think if they could do that, they could be something really special. So I hope I'm proved right. And I hope that they do or they are able to kind of deprogress themselves. Amino was interesting here when he came out. He seemed kind of bored. You know, he he seemed like he didn't really want to be there anymore, like he's sick of it. And I kind of get that in a way, but at the same time, I think this is as big as it gets, mate. And I felt like if you can't really bring it for this, then what can you bring it for? And in a weird way, I ended up feeling a little bit disappointed, although it's not really, really my place to do it. Luckily, when the bell started, that was all gone. I think, you know, we he ended up starting off with one of the Lycos um, uh, people, and he ended up being really fired up in a really weird kind of oxymoronic way, like a bit of a juxtaposition that we had this really bored entrance to him being really, really fired up and excited. And I wondered if Aminu's really made the most of this excursion. Can I blame him for that? I don't know. I mean, I probably would have preferred to have gone to Mexico than Southampton, but <laughs> it is what it is. And I just think that if it if we'd have seen this level of fire previously, maybe this excursion wouldn't be seen as as much of a damp squib, you know. And I I feel like it, I... we'll look back on this excursion very differently than we look back on the Great Okan excursion. This was, the match itself was just absolutely action-packed. You know, it was bruising flips and sneaky tags, big power spots, leaps, topes, moonsaults. It was just really cool. You know, it was constant top rope moves, people flying through the air. Um, and it was really fast-paced. And it was it really was a preview for the, the tag league. It was just a demonstration of what each team can do. Um, which, is, which is fine. I, I thought Chuck Mambo here was mostly really good. Um, I never really liked Chuck Mambo, if I'm honest with you. Sort of traditionally, he was always he was never as heavily pushed as he is now, obviously. But he was always someone who left me feeling a little bit cold. But I really like him in this tag team. I, I think he's done really, really well with Cooper. Cooper loses a little bit overall, I think, by being a face. But whatever. I think Sunshine Machine are really good. Few moments in this, if I'm being really hypercritical, where they overbook things. You know, the whole point of this was for people to come out, you know, balls to the wall action, flying around the ring. And there was a few bits where uh, it was like Mambo sold a kick. He got a kick, so he sat up and was selling it. So he Sterling then missed a moonsault. And I, I think it was all done on purpose, but actually it just ended up looking a little bit strange and a little bit funny. Um, and the ending, you know, bickering teams and the Legion team walked out, which is just, I talked about good stories earlier on, that wasn't good and unnecessary as well. I I, I sort of understand they wanted to protect people going into the tag league, but I would almost have preferred a Lycos baking tray spot. Almost, not quite, but almost. But this was what it was. It was action-packed. It, it was exciting. Um, 
The best bit, to be honest with you, was the way Kitty and Grey was absolutely buzzing for Amino like the mates. You know, they've been doing this story for a long time now that Grey is convinced that the Legion still exists. And they changed the music so Amino came out to uh, the Legion music. And, you know, Grey's like giving thumbs up like, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, you are in the Legion. No, you're good. You're great. You've earned you spotted the Legion. And Amino's just no selling it, which I, 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 I love that story. I think Grey's doing really well. Um... That was a bit patronising then, wasn't I? Great, you're doing really well. Really, really well. The next match was another uh, last-minute change. We had uh, Ricky Knight Jr. originally supposed to be against Cobb, uh, Jeff Cobb. Uh, and he was replaced by Aaron Hanare, um, his United Empire teammate. I was a bit disappointed by this one. Um, I wasn't that disappointed with the Suzuki thing, actually, because even though I knew it would have been a good match, Suzuki on excursion isn't great. But I think that Knight, uh, Ricky Knight Jr. and Cobb could have had a brilliant match. And I feel like we're ready to start seeing RKJ's ceiling. RKJ has been bubbling promise for a long, long time now. And I think it's about time that we saw something from him. That... You know, we saw something that shows that he's not necessarily that kind of Finn Balor ceiling where you know you can get a 4, 4.25 star match out of him. But then when we start getting up to four and a half and four and three quarters, that's when he starts to hit a stall like a brisket on a barbecue. He needs something else to bring him over. And, and I think Cobb might have been the one to do that. And, and Hanare never was. So... As cool as this match was, it still felt like a bit of an exhibition. It was still kind of... Uh, had that bit of a ceiling to it, I suppose. Um, and we'd not seen Ricky Knight Jr.'s own ceiling because of that. Hanare looks great. You know, it's the music and everything. It's got these booms like a weird kind of future sci-fi. It's all very... You know, he comes out with his 90s kung fu, like deus ex... You know, he looks like he's he's jacked up on the latest cyber meds and he's going to plug into a tech tree and play the Digistim game with the mainframe. You know, it's just, it's really awesome. I think an RA looks brilliant. Um, I think Ricky Knight Jr. on the, on the other hand, I don't think his, his, his presentation is as good. I think there's a little bit of a need that Quilden has that he needs to resist to pure blue eye RKJ. And he doesn't need it. It doesn't work when he's coming out in a spiky leather jacket and he's being this violent bruiser that he does in the ring. He comes out, RKJ, and he's high-fiving crowds, you know, he's shaking hands. But then he very much wrestles like a heel in, in a lot of ways. But you can babyface that. You know, like Steve Austin, kind of, I mean, to use an extreme example. I think that's what they need to lean into. But they... they he just there's a little bit of a dichotomy in his character that doesn't really fit with his work. So either the work needs to change or the character in the presentation needs to change. And I absolutely wouldn't change his work. You've got to change the character in the presentation. What I really liked about this match is the bouncing at the start. You know, I'm getting so sick of the introspection that we get at the start of matches now and the you know, we have to listen to crowd chants for fifteen minutes and everyone has to look at look around and, and see who's getting the loudest cheers and, and really think about the fight that's that's in front of them. Well no, all that stuff's for before the match. Once the bell rings you fight and these two got that. It was just two hungry young wrestlers wrestling at top speed. Then they wrestled for a bit and he went straight to booting and slapping each other. Was it dumb jock stuff? It was. Did I like it? 
Obviously. The problem is, it kind of speaks to what I was saying before about the exhibition thing, though. As much as I liked it, and as cool as it is, it kind of gives it a ceiling. Unless you catch a Yori Shibata, that kind of lying on your back and letting someone kick you is going to be cool, and in its visceralness, it's going to be emotive, and you're going to be into it, but it's still going to have that cap, and that's what it did. I was really fascinated here by the way these two sold the no-sells, if that makes sense. You know, that thing of when you're doing this style of wrestling and someone hits you really hard and you can't sell it because you, you, you try to no-sell it to diminish your opponent, but it obviously still hurts. And you can't, you've got to do that in a way that the audience recognise. And these two were absolutely great at it. Um, and, I, I, you know, I feel like they needed to lay that in a little bit earlier. They definitely did hit each other really, really hard. And if I took <laughs> if I took one of these hits, I'd be absolutely wasted. But I just felt like they took too long to get to that point. There was a few moments where the crowd were hushed and they did a slap, but the slap wasn't really as loud as it needed to be. And because the crowd know the rules of the game, they'd react as if it was hard. The commentary would sell it as if it was hard. But in actual fact, it, it wasn't that hard. Um, ultimately though this match was just too long I think that was my problem with it I think if this match was 10 minutes I'd have thought it was really good but you get into the closing stretch of the match and there was a rest hold from Hanare and I, I just thought why you know I, the, the ending came out of nowhere it was very unsatisfying I sort of get why they did it because they've got to protect people but actually I came away from it feeling a little bit as I say unsatisfied I think the crowd were a little bit bored by the end I still feel like I'm waiting for that RKJ match talking of feel like feeling like I'm waiting for a great match we had Luke Jacob next and this has been a long-standing theme on the podcast that I'm I feel like I'm constantly waiting for a great Luke Jacob match and could he have it against Robbie X very possibly Robbie X is a wrestler that I absolutely rave about. He's very much a mid-card talent. I don't think he's somebody that you would push to the top. But he's somebody who's incredibly incredibly innovative, incredibly impressive, and can put together a really good match. Was this a good match, though? Well, if I were to describe the moves to you, and I, don't, I, I try not to do that unless it's an important bit. If I were to describe the moves to you, it would seem a lot better than it actually was. This was a match that I think ticked a lot of boxes. But in a sense, it just didn't all come together into that intangible, I don't think. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but Jacob should be a junior. And they're talking on the commentary a lot about how he's between those two. And I think as a booker, you kind of need to pick. He doesn't have to be between those two. There are plenty of juniors that could have wrestled as heavyweights and heavyweights that can wrestle as juniors. You know, look at Tetsuya Naito. He could easily just be in the junior division now. But it's about how you present them. And I think they just need to present Jacobs as a junior. Jacobs came out with Ethan Allen, which is interesting. He's an injured tag partner. Am I excited to see the young guns back? I don't know, to be honest. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this one. It's funny because... Ethan Allen was always the more charismatic member of the team. He was always the one who could take the beat down and then get the hot tag to Jacobs who could come in and do the power stuff. And it feels like Jacobs was given this opportunity with Ethan Allen's injury to really establish himself because it always felt like Ethan Allen was going to be the star of the team. 
he was he's a lot smaller and whether that'll go against him in future or not we don't know yet but this felt like an opportunity for Jacobs to really establish himself and to have a bit of a breakout moment and if Ethan Allen's coming back I think he might have missed that opportunity yes he got the Atlas belt but that means nothing doesn't it it's a joke so I don't know and there was, I think part of the problem with this match and, and probably what stopped it being the breakout performance is that there was a little bit of a weird ambience to it. You know, uh, the crowd weren't really into this from the start. So these points where I'm watching Robbie X being dropped on his neck on the outside of the ring and the crowd didn't really react to it. And that did hurt. What Jacobs needed here was for the crowd to really lean into what he was doing, which was playing the power junior, which he's great at. But for some reason, it didn't It didn't connect at the start. It did connect when Robbie X was long darted into some chairs, though. Um, and it really brought the crowd to life. And, and I'm glad it did. Because it got to the point where Jacobs was walking around the ring and Robbie X was selling. And it really worked. There was the same problems with the previous match at points. Like a slap from Jacobs. Sound, you know, you know that... that that was no-sold, sounded worse than Jacob's slap in return, that was sold like it was death. But the fact is, in a match like this, you're always waiting for that mad flip from Robbie X, and we got it, uh, you know, and it's it's just... There were moments where it was weird to see the contenders come out to be a base for a leap and have everyone stand around, and again, it put that ceiling on the match, but the fact is, Robbie X is doing cool flips, and that's always going to elevate something, to only to a certain point, but it's always going to elevate it. I came away from this match thinking about Jacobs being almost there in so many different ways. It's almost like he's becoming a jack-of-all-trades, but a master of none. He's almost a great junior. He's almost a great heavyweight. He's almost a great base for someone like X. He's almost a good wrestler. He's young, and it feels bad to say this, but he's in the position that he's in. He's got a singles match at York Hall. And I'm not quite sure he's earned that spot yet. Um, It's unfortunate that maybe with a little bit more time, this would have felt more important and felt bigger. But it is what it is. But then he did something cool, actually. Then, but, but then this moment's in this where Robbie X would do his cutter. I think he calls it the explanation point. And, and, and he just... And Jacobs would just batter him on the back of the head with a lariat as he let through the air. And you think, do you know what? Maybe he is great. It's just not coming together. I don't know what the glue is with Jacobs. I don't know what... Maybe it's me. Maybe it's my glue. I don't know what it is, but I want to like him. He ticks all the boxes but not quite ticks all the boxes. I don't. I, I just. I wish I could articulate how I feel about Luke Jacobs, but believe me, I want him to do really well. Then we had Dan Maloney come out, and we had a surprise. The surprise was Gabriel Kidd, and do you know what? This is what I want a big part of my wrestling to be. Yes, I want those amazing stories from Mills and Oku that we had at the start, but what I also want are two dickheads having a scrap. You know, Maloney comes out and he looks as amazing as he always does. He shaved his head again. And, you know, he looked like one of those. And this is going to be super niche here. But sometimes on TikTok, you see videos that prisoners have illegally took inside HMP prisons. And and he looks like one of them. He looks like an absolute chav who could batter you. And he he looks unhinged. And he's, he's brilliant. 
he delivered a promo. And because Red Pro sounded so atrocious, I couldn't hear a word he said. But actually, I don't think it really mattered because I got the intent. He was screaming and he was annoyed and he was angry. And then Kid came out. The crowd went wild. And it was great to see him back. To get this bit out of the way because I want to serve Gabriel Kid properly and I want to talk about the wrestling. But I genuinely hope he's in a better place. I hope he's got off Twitter and I hope he's going to be able to, to, to work through this and he's got people around him who are going to support him. But for now, let's talk about the wrestling. He had these big wide eyes. He was intense. A welcome back chant started. But you know what happened? They did stand on the ropes and start waving to the crowd. They did try and elicit a crappy dueling chant. Do you know what they did? They wrestled. And we had big forearms, big Germans, and no selling the Germans. And I'm into it so much. There was fighting, there was violence, and it was the kind, they just, just this reckless abandon for the bodies that if me, if as a disabled man, if I took one of those bumps, I'd be dead. And I loved it. You know, it was it was it was brilliant. I love the fact as well at one point that Grey pointed out throughout this match, we're watching this violence, and Gideon Grey saying to Quilder, Maloney's gonna blame you for this. Because he's brought back Kid and put this surprise match on. And this this idea that Maloney would be trying to kill Quilder for doing this to him afterwards was brilliant because Quilder plays this. He's like me, isn't he? He's the, he's the wrestling nerd and he plays that so well that I, I thought it was great. And there was a, a, you know, a superplex spot into a brain buster. There was a manly handshake at the end, you know. It was painful. I could almost hear the bones in the hands being crushed. And I love this shot of Maloney walking away while Kid celebrated in the ring. You know, Kid's bowing and he's 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 celebrating his victory, and Maloney just lingered a little bit. And as Kid is up on the rope, signalling that he wants the belt, and we're moving on to this ne- this next bit. You had this shot of Maloney in the background looking back, and I'm sh- you know he's probably accidental knowing Red Pro's production values, but I thought. Oh yeah, this could be a bit of a change for Maloney. This could be like a little bit of a volta, a little bit of a movement into something different. If I'm being honest, the match outstayed its welcome slightly, like a lot of things on this show did. Um, you know, the last match did, this match did, and and the next match did as well. To be honest, the show could have been three hours. You know, it was three and a half hours. It could have been three. It could have been two hours forty-five. They could have taken forty-five minutes off these matches, and it would have improved the show. I don't think anybody's going to go to a show that's two hours forty-five. You know, two and a half to three hours, maybe slightly over three hours, and feel aggrieved. You know, it's not that this has to be long to get value for money. You don't get your value out of length. You get your value out of quality. And I I feel like that's probably one of my big takeaways from the show. And it was exemplified by this match because, as you can hear by me talking about it, I was so into it. I felt the fact it went long ruined it slightly. But, you know, that's that's something that's easily solved, isn't it? That's not a problem with your booking mind. That's not a problem with your roster. That's a problem that you can solve like that for the next show. The next match was a championship match and it was for the women's title. and, And the women's division is... It's really struggling, isn't it? Let's be honest. And I don't know what it needs, you know. Who should we book for this? Because 
I don't know the answer and I feel like I've got to be critical of it because it is what it is and it's being presented to me. Um, but I don't know I don't know where to go with it. I don't know what suggestions to make. You know, Alex Windsor came out and didn't really get much from the crowd, to be honest. Yeah, there was that big emotional match from just before it, but I don't really believe in the sort of the toilet break and needing to give the audience time if it's good. I like Alex Windsor. I like her approach to wrestling. I like the gear. I like the attitude. I, I really believe that she's presenting herself well, that she's taking this seriously, this championship seriously. One thing I don't get, and I don't know how unpopular this is going to be based on Twitter, but, you know, I've got to be honest. I think Kylie Ray stinks. I don't get it. I mean, she's annoying, isn't she? Am I just a grump who finds happy people annoying? I, I, I don't know, but I find her really annoying. I don't know if she's a babyface to me. I feel like what she's doing is heelish. The backpack is corny. It screams, yo, I've got a gimmick. You know, the smiling, the fakeness, it's performance. She's introduced as being happy to be there. Well, then go away. If you're just happy to be here, then then go away. She claps her opponent when she comes out and it, 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 she, it comes across as dim. I don't want my wrestlers to be dim. I like my wrestlers to be clever. I like my wrestlers to be dumb, like in the previous match with those two bruisers, but dim? Anyway, when the wrestling started, I had to eat my words because she's really good in the ring, isn't she? The gimmick might stink, but she's great. You know, uh, and it, it was a really interesting match. It was very technical and it's hard to make these like headlocks and reversals compelling but they did and it felt nice to have a technical match we've had two very violent bruiser matches and we had a technical one here that even though it never flirted with being brilliant i thought it was really important to have this for the women's division at this point because it established it as a wrestling championship you know we've got so used to um revpro Women's Repro's women's division just being a bit of a joke, you know, with the corny high and baby face thing or a grimacing nightshade, or we don't want that. We wanted some proper wrestling, you know. There was it, it was paced really well. There was German suplexes later on, you know. Windsor was allowed to dominate for a long time. There was STFs, and yeah, again, it might not be a classic, but it felt like a bit of a re-establishment of the women's division. One bit I really hated was when Kylie Ray just put the backpack on. I don't think there was any reason to put the backpack on. Windsor ripped it off and threw it away, and the crowd booed. I'm thinking, why are you booing? Good, rip it off. Get the backpack out of there. You should want the backpack to be out of there. We want people who are taking this seriously. This was good. Windsor looked okay, but this to me was the biggest victim of length on this show. This match was too long. It was far, far, far too long. It outstayed its welcome massively. And I think what they tried to do was make a bit of an epic when actually what Alex Windsor needed was a really solid win against an import. And I think if they'd have just kept it a bit simpler, it would have been better. You know, this was probably three and a quarter stars, three and a half stars. So, it, yeah, it was good. You know, it is, it's not something that I'd necessarily recommend skipping, but it's not something I'd recommend watching. It kind of sits in that in-between phase. 
Next up, we have the big match. The tag team match. Aussie Open against the Velocities. And I talked about the anticipation to this match in my preview last time. The idea that this match speaks to a wrestling fan. That this match, even if you've not seen the one from Australia, you know about this match, the Open Against Velocities match. You're aware of the gravitas and the provenance that this match brings. And I wondered, when the Velocities came out, I wonder if I misjudged that, because they were weirdly quiet. They weren't really into this, the Velocities in particular. I mean, sorry, I should I should state that for Aussie Open, they were molten. But for the Velocities, they were very quiet. And that's when I realised that actually, for maybe for me, this match was the draw. But I think if you want to get 1,200 people in, it's the Will Ospreay-Suzuki match that's the draw. Maybe I overestimated this match. The crowd were really firmly behind Aussie Open and we had these dueling chants at the start and we had to have a moment where the Velocities got on the ropes and said, oh, why aren't you cheering for me? And then Aussie Open had to come out and say, no, they're cheering for us and I hated that because I always hate that. But once the match started, oh my word, reverse Hurricaradas, move after move after move after move. And this is very similar to Aussie Open. I feel like this is the Australian style. Is that things come in in groups and threes and and, and almost like an anaphora of wrestling. That you don't just get one big move. You get a big move, big move, big move. You know, it's how they're taking it to the next level. And I think Aussie Open are perfect at that. And Velocities do it great as well. One of the things I like about Velocities and Aussie Open is the way that they wrestle. The way that they... They really lean into tag team wrestling by doing little things really well. For example, the Velocities were shouting at each other, move, move, or get him, get him, or get the pin. And Aussie Open do that anyway. And I think that that's something that, weirdly, a lot of tag teams don't do. You watch any team sport, you watch football, and they're shouting at each other, they're communicating with each other constantly. And I don't just mean shouting someone's name as you run towards them, like you know, that's been the fashion for a year or two now. But they actually communicate and and and, and strategize and encourage and, and it, it gives it this air of desperation and speed. And I think that probably added a quarter star to this for me. And I know that sounds really silly, but next time you watch Aussie Open and Velocities wrestle, look out for it. Because they do it really, really well. The size difference was really important to this match, and I like that. You know, velocities were all over the shop. They were the smaller wrestlers, so they were weaving around and dodging. But then when the bigger team got hold of them, particularly Davis, he he just picked them up and launched them around. You know, one of them, I think it was De Silva, got proper lawn darted outside. And it was amazing. This image of just these gangly men with these limbs flying everywhere. It was perfect. I felt like this might be a weird take, and this is. I'm going to say I don't mean this as a dig, but it's, it is obviously a dig. I feel like Velocities are what Lycos Jim wish they were. If Lycos Jim were better wrestlers, they could be Velocities. I really liked the first half of this because it felt like a squash. You know, London was hitting Fletcher and getting no sold. That, like I say, that size difference was palpable. But what I'm saying. You know, what I was saying before about moves and the intangible. You know, I could describe the moves to this and it wouldn't 
do justice to what they managed to do. When De Silva was alone, he was so quick and the moves were so good, but it was the desperation that rung out. It was the desperation that that excited me. And there was a change halfway through when Aussie Open seemed to get angry and it was like they couldn't think straight. And it became then that De Silva had an answer for everything. That... Uh, the first half of the match, Aussie Open were, were using their power to answer everything that Velocities had. But in the second half, Velocities were using their brains and their speed to answer everything that Aussie Open had. And the structure of that was just so exciting. And again, you had these little moments like Davis would drop the silver and and then Fletcher would realise that Davis was the legal man, but Davis was pounding around almost like he was pumped full of adrenaline, like he was in a berserker sort of rage. And Fletcher had to yell at him and try and ground him and get him ready for the pin. And it was those little moments of reality that I absolutely loved. Okay, there were a few moments where Davis ventured into being a bit cartoony. You know, he stomped around the ring like an angry bear at times, but, you know, it's just... Two teams that clearly think about wrestling. There was a moment where London and Fletcher were both tagged in simultaneously. And in every other match, those two would have stormed at each other. and We would have had this cliched hot tag. And I, I love hot tags. But they didn't do a hot tag. They did an exhausted tag because that told a better story. This was get your shit in in the best way possible. Meltzer said in his review that if you like big moves, then this is for you. But I think that's doing it dirty a little bit. Because yes, there was lots of big moves here. And don't get me wrong, those moves were spectacular. But there was lots of great moments of story that glued it all together into a brilliant match. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, "Ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards, and yeah, you can open it, and look, it's going to be junk. You're, you, you know what I mean? Like, you know what you're probably going to get in those. Maybe you find that fun, and sometimes I do. Sometimes I like just opening up cards and saying, oh, hey, look at some random cards or whatever. But if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards, it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs, and it ends up being, you know, almost nothing. You know, nothing of value. Not with Arena Club. You can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading. So you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, 
Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know, there was a brain buster in the corner, only to have the pin broken by a shooting star press. And the crowd stood up and they applauded. And how do you top that? How do you top that? Well, I'll tell you how you top that. The Velocities got on the top rope and Spanish flied each other to the outside. On top of Aussie Open. There was a shooting star DDT. A shooting star DDT. Just cool stuff. Take cool stuff, add some story to it. I love this match. It was match of the week in the Observer and it deserved it. You know, it was a hot crowd going mad for cool stuff. It was a great story. There were great moves. It was brilliant. I, I, I thought this was a great match. Is it a five-star match? No, it's not. Is it four and three quarters, four and a half? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I finished it and I just loved it and I watched it again. And sometimes I can put a star rating on things if I think about it, but sometimes I don't want to and I don't want to with this match. You can have one if you want it. You can go on your grapple app. Go on your grapple app and give it a star rating. I don't care. Just watch it because it's brilliant. I thought it was a fantastic match. Then we had the main event. Suzuki against Oku. And of course Suzuki was mad over here. Of course he's mad over his Suzuki. He's as cool as you get. And I tell you what, if you've never seen Suzuki live, you owe it to yourself to go and do it. And I know he doesn't bring his all on these excursions, especially if you're in America. I know he sees it as, you know, he's topping up his pension. He's short of a few pension credits and he wants to top it up. And I get that. And I don't judge him for that because he's 50 years old. But you have to be there for one of his entrances because it's special. And you will never forget it. I've done a couple of them. But the one for me was at Royal Quest a couple of years ago. It's so special when that video is playing. And you see the stills from that match in the rain, his anniversary match, the draw in the downpour, which I hate, but that's what people call it. And he gave that match away for free, didn't he? This emotive match against Okada that he gave away for free in his hometown on the streets and he stayed behind afterwards to make make everybody and help everybody pick up the rubbish off the floor. And as he comes out, you scream Kaze ni nare with everyone else around you. And you as you will this lonely warrior into the ring with his hood over him like he's death incarnate. 
And it's just a brilliant thing that you have to be part of. If you love wrestling, you have to be part of it at some point in your life. When Oku came out, it really made me think about perception and made me think about the Luke Jacobs things from earlier. Oku's bigger than Suzuki. Oku's bigger than Suzuki. He's leaner, not by much. He's ganglier, but Suzuki is he's smaller in a lot of metrics. It's weird that how it works, isn't it? I mean, obviously, I'm not saying anything should change. Suzuki should be in G1s and Oku should be a cruiserweight, but it's just weird, isn't it? It's just like, you know, perception. In the early match, Oku tried to wrestle Suzuki and was obviously dominated. And I, I thought, if I'm being really critical, Oku was a little bit cartoonish. He was a bit, you know, I'm going to try my best. He was a bit, do you know that American chant? I believe that we can win. And it just, it, it, it hurts your insides when you see it. You go, you bunch of dorks. <laughs> like, you don't understand football at all. And he's, he was kind of have a bit like that kind of feeling to it. Um... The, there was a bit with the test of strength that he did earlier on and it's Oku's thing and it was funny because Suzuki just slapped him. And it was funny but it wasn't great, you know? Do you know that distinction that I've been trying to make throughout this? That it was funny and it was good but with that slap it kind of positioned it as a different match. You know, it let the crowd chant you fucked up while Oku got slapped which is good in itself but again, like I keep saying, it puts a ceiling on these things and you know you're not going to get a match of the year. Which is fine because I feel bad for Quilden because I don't think anybody would blame him for what's happened with this. You know, you you can't stop people getting kidney infections of all things. And it's you're not it's not the 70s where we expect people to work her anymore. At least I don't as a wrestling fan. I, 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 in fact, I'm the opposite. I don't want my wrestlers to work her. I want my wrestlers to be healthy. And, I'm, you know, Quilden must have felt awful about it and he, he shouldn't have done. But he, what he did here is he, he they put together a match, Oku and Suzuki, that would have sent the crowd home happy. And there was loads of cool things in this. You know, like Suzuki does the, the um, submission around the ropes and uh, Oku reversed it into a half crab. And I thought that was really good. This was mainly Oku being beaten up, but he did get a lot in. And I'll be dead as you know, as 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 much as I'm saying this match has a ceiling. I will be dead before I don't love Suzuki standing over someone, angrily angrily yelling something in Japanese that I don't even understand with an angry look on his face. That is what gets me into wrestling. One of the things that confused me is at the end of this match, Suzuki booted Oku out of the ring, and the crowd kind of booed a little bit. And I wondered when did we stop liking cool shit. When did we start playing into roles a little bit too much as crowds? When did we stop reacting to what's immediately in front of us? Because, yeah, I know Oku's Oku, and I know he's over, but Suzuki booting someone out of the ring. I don't know. I just think, I don't know why people's mind go, went to booze with that one. I just thought it was absolutely cool. So, yeah, overall, this match, probably not much to report, if I'm being completely honest with you, but I, I, I just thought it was it was just incredible. Uh, that, that bit at the end, it was well worth watching. One of the things that I liked as well as at the end was the post-match promo. Uh, the post-match promo was, Will Ospreay, please take care, and fuck you, I am the king. Brilliant. Fantastic promo. 
So what a show. I thought it was a really good show. I think it's a good show on lots of levels. You had the Velocities Aussie Open match, which was great. I thought the opening match was great. I thought the main event was entertaining. Kip Maloney was good. It was. It, it, it's definitely a show to watch and enjoy, I think. It's reinvigorated my passion a little bit for Red Pro. That, that was waning slightly, I think. But it's definitely got it back. I think a point that needs to be made as well is overall Gray has really matured as a commentator. He's heelish, but he's real. You know, the way he kind of slags off at Oku is great because what he's saying might actually be true. It's true through a heelish perspective. And I really like that. I think that's really important that he does that. It's got that kind of Ventura thing about it. Whereas Ventura was often right. He was often fair. He would support the babyface when it was obvious that the babyface was right, but he would always side with the heels if he could, and Gray's leaning into that. So, to give an example, he's walking out and he's he's criticizing Oku. He's saying, you know, he's 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 playing off like he's he's this hero, but actually, he just wants everything to be about him. He just wants the attention. He wants to be seen as a hero, and he enjoys it a little bit too much. And I thought, yeah, that might actually be true, and it gives a little bit of of have a sort of a third dimension to Oku's character because yeah that might be true we can like him but that might be true and it gives that little bit of realistic edge to him but to me that makes me like him even more I don't like pe- maybe that's why I don't like Kylie Ray I don't like people that are overly nice I don't like people who are overly positive because I think that's impossible it's impossible to be happy and smiley and cheerful all the time. So when people do it, it feels artificial. It feels like you're hiding something. And the fact I can see Oku's faults makes him more personable, makes him more real, and then ultimately likes him more. This was up on the new streaming service, which people are, are, are raving about. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I think it's good. It's, <laughs> you can move forward and backwards now. It's obviously better than Pivot Share. It remembers where you are. You know, this feels like a long time coming. I feel uncomfortable throwing roses at something that I think should have been done a long time ago. Uh, I don't think it should have cost... You know, there's loads of shows gone up this week that I've not been able to watch because I've not had time to. Um, and I, I don't know if, if that's okay because I've been paying for those. But ultimately, I think now it's time to go forward. What's interesting about this is that the plan for the new streaming service is that things will be broadcast live. I read that actually in The Observer. And let me read what Dave says because he said, blah, 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 it's going to be put up live. Instead of being put up on the site on a day or two uh, uh, on a two or three day delay a two or three day delay Dave come on mate fake news <laughs> fake news but yeah that's Red Pro loved it love wrestling love the show love that tag match shall we find out what else has been going on Money seems to have been a big talking point over the last couple of weeks in wrestling, uh, particularly with the Clash at the Castle going on sale and the sorts of prices that they're charging and the fact that it's not doing very well. Um, They've sold about 40,000 tickets 
they did 30,000 in the pre-sale and 10,000 more on the first day of, of sales. Uh, that was reported in the in the Observer. Um, and Dave says that's slightly ahead of the WrestleMania pace, but they need, I think it's 74,000 the Millennium Stadium. It's Principality Stadium now. It's the Millennium Stadium. I, I think they've got a long way to go. I don't think they're going to sell it out. I think... I, I do think that's a real shame because it's been a bit of a talking point now forever, since 1992, I guess, that we've not really had major shows in this country and that if they did have a major show in this country, it would do well. The problem with this is twofold. I think, one, it's clearly not a major show. We talked last time about the poster. We talked about the title. We talked about the fact of it's going to be sitting with these kind of uh, Kingdom of Saudi Arabia shows. It, it's just, there's nothing about it that suggests premium, apart from the fact they're calling it a premium live event. But what they don't seem to have realised is that for years and years and years, they've built up this idea of a pay-per-view. And even in the network era where we don't have pay-per-views anymore. They still call them that on the network. They still advertise them as pay-per-views. And we're moving away from those into premium live events. And what you're doing, I think, when you change the name, is you're taking away a lot of the the, the provenance that that thing has. It just, it really feels like a B-show. Why couldn't they have done like Money in the Bank over here? I think that would have made a huge difference if they'd have actually had even one that, you know, who cares about money in the bank? Who cares about hell in the cell? Nobody does really. But if you'd have put that over here, I think it would have sold out. I I, I, I don't know that. Maybe I'm speculating. But the fact you've just presented it as a glorified house show, because that's what it is. I I, I think that's that's contributed because you're asking people to pay a lot of money. You go and get a ticket now, and you're paying over a hundred pounds, and that's not even the cheapest ones. No, sorry, the most expensive ones. I think you know you can go up to. Let's have a look on Ticketmaster now. You can go up to like a grand. You know they're asking big money for this. Hotel prices are absolutely through the roof. They're essentially asking people to give up a holiday for this, to give up a lot. To go and watch this. And if it's big. And it feels like a, a big deal. Then that's one thing. But if it's Clash at the Castle. That's a completely different thing isn't it? I'm not even. I'm not even entertaining going. It's not even in my wheelhouse. This. It's. I, I cannot comprehend spending this much on something that's obviously going to be bad. I think they will start to reduce tickets nearer the time. I, I do. I think that, you know, and I, I, I kind of get that. But at the end of the day, I, I think that's that's not nice. I, I don't like that. I think, you know, these people who, as much as I can sort of baffle their decision-making process, these people have paid money to go to this show. And I think if you then reduce the price of tickets, I get it from a business point of view, but I think from a moral point of view, it's really crappy. And I, I don't like that sort of thing. As I say, money isn't just 
on the uh, the WWE radar at the minute. It's also on uh, Great Britain's own wrestling entertainment series, the Authors of Pain um, promotion that they've started. It's on their radar as well. Uh, they've got a show on the 4th of June, which is not that far away. It's, it's you know, a week away from hearing this on the Saturday. They've announced the card. They've called it an unmissable celebratory event that will see some of the biggest names in wrestling come together. And they've put their tickets on sale. Now, I'm hoping you don't know how much they're asking for this because I, I let me read the card to you. We'll do a bit of a preview and you'll tell me... Uh, if you think this is worth it. Let's go from the bottom then. So from the bottom, we've got a pre-show. Mike Bennett against Biff Busick. That'd probably be an alright match. We've got Dean Matardi against Lince Dorado. Dean Matardi is the old, um, what's he called, from the, the, the annoying guy from WWE, Mojo Rawley. We've got Madison Rain and Tennille Dashwood against Deonna Perazzo and Chelsea Green. Killer Cross versus Samurai Del Sol versus Jonah. We've got the Legion of Pain against Weston Blake and Steve Macklin. We've got Lena Fennen against CJ Perry. And Adam the Titan Sure against Alistair Overeem. What a weird card this is. We've got Nia Jax in there. We've got the old Blake and Murphy. We've got cast-offs from WWE in uh, Mojo Rawley. He was too annoying for the Fed. And now he's bothering us again. The cheapest seat for this is £27. A decent seat is £100 to £70. They're nuts. They're nuts. I feel like these ticket prices are bred of people who spend far too much time thinking about NFTs and their perception of value has been so badly warped that they think someone is going to pay £100 to see this. I've set a limit in my head and I'm going to, be, I'm going to keep watching the, 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 the prices and I've got nothing to do next weekend. And if I can get a ticket for 20 quid, I'm going to go. I have to see... I have to see... Nia Jax against CJ Perry. Lana against Nia J. Nia Jax. I have to see it. I have to see how terrible it is. You know, there's that thing, isn't there, where everyone has their regret that I remember once Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks were playing uh, bowlers uh, just up the road from me and I didn't go. I, I don't know why. And uh, it, it hangs over me. It hangs over me that I didn't go. And I wonder if Nia Jax against Lana will enter into that pantheon of matches that if I miss out on, I will regret for the rest of my life. I feel like it's my duty as a, as a, as a podcaster, as Voices of Wrestling's voice for European wrestling, to go to this and see what it's like and report for you so you don't have to. Just nuts prices, absolutely nuts prices. Another exciting announcement was from Wrestle Carnival. I think Wrestle Carnival are okay. I think they're a promotion that are a, are a little bit confused. They came out of WrestleGate. Uh, Gary Ward, the the um, the booker and the owner, is clearly a massive wrestling fan. He clearly wanted to do things with all Japan and nerdy wrestling stuff. But is there really a market for that? I mean, there is with us. Is there a wider market to justify the cost of running that? I don't know. 
Um, but he's announced uh, a joint show with Noah for the first anniversary, which I think is really, really interesting. I wonder which star the old men of Noah are going to squash <laughs> in Nottingham. Um, they've not announced any talent for this yet, but listen, if Cano's in the country, what did I say before about if someone's there, you've got to go. If Cano's an hour away from me, I kind of feel obliged to go and see it. You know, I want to see Nakajima. I can, you know, this is something that's that's really interesting. It really makes me makes me feel a little bit excited, you know. Despite knowing that Wrestle Carnival probably aren't that good. You know, they have like Charles Crowley as the champion, which makes me feel uneasy. But anyway, I think I'll, I'll you know, that sounds really exciting, a Noah show. Anyway, that's us up to date with the news. Uh, let's go to Germany and talk about the GWF. I don't really believe in guilty pleasures. I think if something makes you happy, you should do it, as long as it doesn't affect anybody else. But I suppose if I if I did believe in them, I would put GWF as my guilty pleasure. Um, I, they're not a brilliant promotion, you know. They're not making any real waves, I don't think. But I really like them. They've just got a, a great feel to them. All the shows are solid. They're always exciting. The live crowd is always red hot, and they stream loads of stuff for free on YouTube. They tend to be unlisted, by the way. So if you go onto their YouTube, you might not find everything. You might have to scroll through the Twitter and find the links. You can get the links. You can get to it through the links, I should say. You just don't always get them listed on the page. And you can, you know, you can remember to like and subscribe and smash like buttons and do all the other things that the kids are doing nowadays. What's amazing about this promotion, especially when we're talking about RevPro earlier, is that they can do things like have videos come up on the screen and then transition back to what's happening in the venue. When they're talking on the microphone, even though it's in German and I don't speak German, you can understand what they're saying. And they're doing all this live. This show was better produced than the live at York Hall show. Well, anyway, I'm, I've, got, I've got to get that dig in at some point, haven't I? I can't let that go. A lot of this show, and it's the GWF Mystery Mayhem from last week that we're talking about, a lot of it is just wrestling. And I know that sounds like a bit of a backhanded compliment, but I, I don't mean it to. I really like it. I really like the fact that this promotion of just putting on really good wrestling with the talent that they've got. And I think they're exciting to be part of. And when you put it on, even though a lot of you might look at it and not recognize the names, and you know a lot of them I have to refresh and remind myself about who they are, you kind of get swept away because there's such a great atmosphere and a great feel to the promotion that you just get into it. You, ju- you really do. You get into it, you know, in a way that you don't need promoters begging you on Twitter to come and support us and all this. They don't do that. They just put good wrestling on and you end up enjoying it. They started this with a great idea. The whole point of this is it's not like Mystery Vortex where you don't, well, you don't know the opponents when you go, but you know the wrestlers because they've got wrestlers who've been competing for these envelopes um, over the past few months. And you come to this Mystery Vortex and you stand with your envelope and they bring all the champions out on the stage and you open your envelope and you've been randomly assigned a championship match 
And I really like that idea. It's really weird, isn't it, that you think these gimmicks and you think you've done them all and you think that now we're at the point where it's like Thunder Bastard, where you do something and it's just a bit contrived and it's a bit much and it's a bit tired. But I thought this I, I thought this was a really great idea. I love the way the champions looked on the stage as well. I mean, Axel Tisha is the main champion and he looked like a champion. I'm telling you, he rules. You know, he had the suit, he had the belt kind of folded under his arms and he just had that weightless, effortless, old school confidence. I loved when they had their um, secondary champion, Mike DeVacale, stood there and he kind of sneered when they you know, did like a patronising laugh when they were talking about um, Axel Tisha. And I like that because it's movement, isn't it? It's fluidity. It shows that, yeah, he's proud that he's the Berlin champion, which is like their second-rate champion, but he wants to move up and I, I, I think that's great. All the challenges had envelopes and we opened and we found out who was getting what. Um... One of the things I absolutely love about GWF, and I don't know if this has done before. If it has, I've never come across it, so I apologise if I'm exposing myself. They have a belt called the Loserweight Championship. And what the, the Loserweight is, is it's a belt that you don't want. So you're the champion, but if you lose the match, you have to keep the belt, and you're trying to get rid of it. I just think that's brilliant. We'll talk about that later on, but I think that's a great idea. This started off with a, a 10-man elimination mystery mayhem match, and it, it was fine, you know. Uh, Doug Williams was in it, so, you know, it was nice he could take a break from being a wrestling legend. Um, but you've got Senza Volto in there, you've got Crowchester. It's going to be exciting. Crowd loved it. Really good. Then you had Jesse J against Mila Smith for the women's title. I was a little bit on the fence about this one. Jesse J is a strange one. She's incredibly tough looking I think she looks incredibly intimidating and she's got a great air about her the way she interacts with the crowd is really good but sometimes she forgets which way she's going after she sells a move you know so you've got that little bit of dichotomy there that I think you'd probably prefer a good worker Mila Schmidt, though, I thought was great. I think she looked really good here. She's, you know, she could really take a forearm well. There's a bit of a judo influence to her. Um, you know, I, I thought that was good. Um, the match was probably a little bit of a time vortex, though. It ended up with a double count out. It was a bit, this feud must continue. But actually, I think a little bit more Mila Schmidt could be cool. I think that could be cool. Then we had a tag team match. It was John Klinger and Tarkin Aslan against Itak Baha and uh, Sam Kaplan. I really like Itak. I really do. He's someone that's been on the radar now for me for a couple of months. And he really is one to watch. I think he's got this lovely charisma to him that he's he's getting beaten down. And he can really sell it brilliantly. You know, he's very sympathetic. He's someone who you really get behind. The match itself was very standard in a lot of ways. You know, yes, they had the ITAC getting beaten down and going for the hot tag, which is very traditional. And when Kaplan does come in for the hot tag, he does things like an Irish whip into a backbodydrop.com, which is charming, but it's not exciting. You've got John Klinger in there who, I don't know, I feel like John Klinger's one of them wrestlers who I'm supposed to have an opinion about, but I just find him a little bit bland. 
I think what it is that I don't like about him is he's got that 90s wrestling punch. You know, like Billy Gunn, like the really obvious stomp into the punch. It just seems really silly. They elevated this match really well. You know, there was huge cannonballs off the stage. I like the fact that it built, it really built to this potential win by Itak and Kaplan. And it, it it really felt like that was something that was going to happen. But ultimately, it came down to conditioning at the end or towards the end. And they the um, Blutes Bruder team were just able to dominate because they had better conditioning. But then Itak came back. And he came back with Germans and crossbodies. And that all that feeling was suddenly gone. And it was the look on his face while he was doing it that showed that he just got it. He got what he was trying to get across here. But then what happened, listener? There was a running. And it ended in a DQ. And I hated that. I, I I was so disappointed with that. I felt like the rug was just pulled out from under me. And I was actually a little bit annoyed about it, if I'm completely honest. Because the way they positioned this match and the way it was done, you could have pinned Itak and he wouldn't have lost anything. In fact, he might even have gained something from it. It might actually have been better for him to be pinned. And instead, they did the running, and I—I I, I was really annoyed because this—this this is a match that that I should have been recommending to you. I should be saying to you, go out of your way to watch this, but I just can't. But anyway, it is what it is. It's a you know, I'm allowed to be disappointed sometimes. Then we had the Berlin title match. It was uh, Becky O against Marius Alani. Uh, Vecchio looks like a million dollars. He looks absolutely brilliant. Um, he, you know, he, he's got a great bounce to him. He's quite limited in terms of his moves. Alani is okay, but he's not exactly a super worker. This match kind of had two different levels to it. I think when it was just big lads being big lads doing big moves, I was into that. You know, with big lariats or one kick outs and you know, they were able to build something pretty good based on that, despite the fact there was a couple of botches. But they just got a little bit too cute. I think they overextended. They tried to do things that were a little bit too technical for their ability. And it was frustrating because they didn't really need to, I don't think. Even if what they were trying to do at times would have been successful, if they'd have pulled it off, I don't think it would have improved the match very much. It was, and that's a real shame because when they were just battering each other, it was it was really cool. But you know that is what it is. I, I don't think there's any anyone's going to lose any sleep over this match not being good. But it's, it's frustrating when you watch a match that that should have been better than it was. My favorite championship now in wrestling is the GWF loserweight title, and you've got to love the concept of it. You know, it's like a game of six nymphed or Reiner Knizia's Llama, or golf. You don't want points. You, you know, you, you don't want to win it. And I just thought that's a really great idea. I mean, the match was rubbish, to be honest with you. It was comedy, and I don't like comedy matches very much. But, you know, it was five minutes, and there was lots of things in it that were really good. And I think it was good because it was mainly comedy, but also the wrestling in it was competent. And it's mad how that works, isn't it? That when the wrestling in a wrestling match is competent, you get into it. And at the end, the image of the ref giving Fayez the belt back. And Arash was with him, just looking disappointed. And he was on the floor beating up, and he's lifted his hand up at the belt as if to say, why am I cursed with this? 
And everyone stood around just kind of shaking their head going, I don't know, mate. Just a brilliant image. This thing's really, really interesting. The main event was Axel T-shirt against Erkan Sulkani. And I, this is skippable for me. It's not very good. I, I don't think there's much to report about it. Um, Sulkani avoided wrestling at the start. And I know this might be controversial, but I don't really want my wrestlers avoiding wrestling. I want my wrestlers to wrestle, as silly as that might be. I understood that the concept was that Tisha's better, so every time they get into bits of technicalities and bits of back and forth, that he was going to win and he was going to dominate. But I, I can understand the story without thinking that it's good. There were lots of bits in this where Tisha had to really take control in the early match because Sulkani needed to be led. And it was really obvious leading. And there was lots of standing around doing nothing and then just punching. So this was... Very skippable for me. But overall, this was a really entertaining show. The next live stream is on the 19th of June and I'll be watching. They have a little donation thing up there where you can contribute if you want to. You know, if you if you want to chuck them a fiver or whatever um, for doing it. And I think that's a really great idea for a promotion like this. I think it's a really great way to do it. So I'll be keeping up with GWF. I'll be watching it and I'll be talking about it on this show because I just think it's a promotion that I really like and I really like thinking about them. And I urge you to watch them too. So that's GWF. I need a rest now. It's about four o'clock in the morning. I'm absolutely exhausted. Because I've been shouting about a tag team match in the middle of the night. God knows what my neighbours must think. Well, Believe it or not, this might come as a shock to those who've been listening for a while, but I don't really speak to my neighbours anyway, so who cares what they think. There was some great wrestling on. And I, I really think you should watch that York Hall show, and I really think you should chew on it. I think Red Pro are really exciting at the minute, and I've been talking to some people in the Discord about the next shows that have been coming up, and it's just something that we can all really get together and chew on. So I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please um, please subscribe. I, I don't say things like this very often, but it would really mean a lot to me if you did and give it a rating and things like that. Um, you can get in the Discord and have a chat with us about European wrestling. I'd, I'd really appreciate that because I love talking about it with you. Uh, and I hope you have a lovely fortnight. We'll be back to catch up on all the exciting things in a couple of weeks. So I'll see you then. <laughs>